Thank you. Where's Michael? Thank you for leading us in such amazing worship, Michael. It's so nice to have you with us again. We miss you. Um, thank you. It was awesome. Um, so um, uh, for those who are visiting, um, I have been uh, preaching the last uh, three weeks, and this is the last in a, in a kind of four-part series. Um, I, I've uh, spent many, many hours this weekend trying to make it as short as possible. Um, to try to, to land well and to try to get across to you everything that I feel like the Lord is wanting us to learn from his word. And so I'm going to quickly pray and then I'm going to do um, a, a short recap um, so that we remember where we are. Uh, and then I'm going to try and teach us um, uh, who we are in Christ and practically what does that mean and, and, and what should we do with that information. Does that make sense? So, um, Lord, I, I come to you. Holy Spirit, I pray for your grace uh, this morning, that, that your word would, would um, be spoken th uh, through me now, Lord God, in, in power into our lives. Um, help us, I pray, Lord. Open our hearts. Open our eyes. Let us hear you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So um, that floorboard was just very squeaky. So uh, excuse me, it's very hot up here. Excuse me, I'm wearing shorts. Um, uh, but uh, last week I, I was uh, almost swimming up here. So I thought, no, I, you, you'll, you'll, you'll bear with me. So <clears throat> what we've been learning over the last few weeks is about our identity, about who we really are. And we've learned last week that it is important to know who we really are because we always live out or do what we think we are or what we believe we are. We act out what we think we are. Our living is limited by our knowledge or our understanding, or our belief. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So for example, if you think that you are an ugly duckling that can't quack nicely, or swim as fast as the other ducks, then you will hide and be shy and you will never soar with the swans that you are. Does that make sense? Or even if, if you are a, a, a big strong elephant, we heard last week, with, with great strength, you will stay pegged to the limitations of your peg and chain thinking. Do you remember that? Or, or maybe if you relate and, and you're a flea with, with, with great jumping power and potential, you will never attain to those heights because of the lid of your understanding or belief. We saw last week that the Bible tells us 
that because of our ancestor, Adam, because he sinned, we are all born a certain way. Do you remember? I, I explained that, that there are, there are, there's a way that we used to be. And because of Adam, that way was we were born in sin with, with a sinful nature that the Bible calls flesh. And, and by nature, therefore, we all lived a certain way according to the flesh. And we unpacked that the last time. And that the world around us, also because of that sin of Adam and Eve, is cursed by sin. And it's broken. And it's headed for destruction. The book of Revelation says that the earth and the heavens will be all destroyed by fire. And, and in this nature, the Bible teaches that we were born in, we were hostile to God, we were enemies of God, and we were against God in our thinking, in our feeling, and in our living. And as a result, we were hopeless. We were without God in this world. We were headed, like the world is, for a terrible coming judgment and for an eternity without God, destined forever and ever to be in torment in hell. And those who are here for the first time want to welcome you. <laughs> Our purpose is to scare the hell out of you. But we also began to hear last time just the beginning of the good news. No, not the good news, the great news. Not the great news, the amazing glad tidings that for those who are chosen by God, we no longer remain in that state. We are changed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, But we, I'm sorry, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And we began to hear what God has done for us in Christ. And, and I, I told the story of, of the quicksand brothers. Do you remember that? The two brothers who went wandering off and, and, and got caught in quicksand and eventually when they were found, they could only see the younger brother up to his neck. And when they asked him, where's your older brother? He, he said, I'm standing on his shoulders. We, like that younger brother, are alive. We are saved. We are changed because of what our older brother, Jesus, has done for us. And if we will stand on his shoulders... And believe that he died in our place, we too will be changed. And we saw last time that the book of Ephesians is like a mirror that we can look into to see ourselves for who we were, but also now in Christ, who we are. In him, through him, with him, it's all about being united with Jesus Christ. And it's because of what He has done. And it's because of what He does in us that we can be changed.
Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. Created where? In Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we saw last time that God in Christ makes us firstly saints, holy, set apart. Secondly, that God takes us from a place of standing under the wrath of God to a place of standing under the grace and peace and blessing of God. That God has given us mercy and He has given us grace. Mercy means that we don't get the punishment that we deserved. And grace means that we get the blessings and the inheritance that we didn't deserve. And we saw that the Bible tells us that each one of us is chosen by God. We are now on His side, in His kingdom, on His team, and not just chosen to a team, but adopted as sons into His family. And I taught last time, I, 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 I didn't have it in my notes, but I remembered from my uh, Roman law lectures uh, back at, at, at UCT about 20 years ago about the rights of an adopted son. And, and I actually taught you something in error. And so Joey in the week did some research and he sent me some notes from Justinian and, and, and analysis of the theology because I said to you that once adopted, a son could never be unadopted. And I said that in error. Actually, in Roman law, you could be unadopted again. But if you were unadopted, then you could never be readopted. So I just wanted to clarify that with you. We do make mistakes. I'm not the source of all truth. Only the Bible is perfectly 100% right. So I just wanted to clarify that for you um, from what I taught last week. And we saw finally last week that God has redeemed us. A word meaning that God has bought us back from the slave market of sin. Where we were bound to a hopeless life of service to the devil and to the world and to the flesh. And that Jesus bought us back with the price of his blood. And now he has set us free to love and to serve God. To mirror him. To bear his image in our thinking and feeling and doing. And now that we are set free by Jesus, also to love and serve others too with the love that we have received from God. And finally we saw that God has forgiven us for all our sins. A great debt that we owed has been paid by Jesus. So that's the recap. Are we all caught up? Okay. So in what time we have remaining today, I'm going to touch on, firstly, more of what God has done for us, and then practically how we should live in light of what God has made us to be. Let's read from 
Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 9 to 14 together. And then I'm going to teach from it. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So I'm going to teach from that verse now the rest of what God has made us to be. And the first thing is, is that God has made the mystery of his will known to us. God has revealed himself and his plan and his way to us. God is not hiding from us. He is not silent. He spoke to us first through the prophets. And then Jesus Christ came. God himself came to us. And then when he rose and went back up to heaven, he appointed men to be apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists to teach us and to explain to us how God sees us and what his will is. God has made every effort to speak to us. And today, if we will open his word, his Bible, his Holy Spirit is living in us and will teach us and will remind us as his people what God says about us. And God wants us to know him. And God wants us to know his plan. And God wants us, he wants you to know his purpose for your life. You are on the inside with God now. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends, because I have told you everything that my Father has told me. And so we have been made friends of God. Jesus picked some friends, and you were it. The second thing is that part of God's plan is to unite us all in Christ. We read in chapter 10, as a plan for the fullness of time, uh, 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 verse 10, sorry, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. And so in Christ, you have been called from being a Fanroyan, or a Smith, or a whatever your surname is, into a new family. Into a family that is better and closer than your earthly family. We have all been placed under the same banner, under the grace and the goodness of God. All saved, all chosen, 
all one. All of us came from the same way of living, the same state, and God has united us, Jews and Gentiles, barbarians and Greeks. Do you see the opposite of a Greek? All one. We are no longer defined by our race or our skin color or our culture. We are now one family in Christ. And the next thing that God has done, and, and this is very important because if you walk into church and you think that you are somehow different from those around you because of how you look, it's a lie. The Bible says heaven will be filled with people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. A family chosen and united by God. Say, we are one. And the next thing that God has done is He has given us an inheritance. What inheritance, you say? An eternal home. A new eternal body that will be unlike the one you have at the moment. I was concerned about my body this week because I got a bit of a, a, a cold. I went and had a COVID test just to check that I could come and preach. It was negative. Thank you, Jesus. Um, so it's just a little man flu. But that body will not get man flu when I die and rise again with my new body. That is part of my inheritance. That body will probably be around 30 years of age. It, whatever the peak in strength is, that's what it will be. And it will be like that for eternity. There will be no wrinkles. There will be no torn muscles. There will be no back pain. There will be no cancer. There will be no sickness. There will be no tears. It's coming. A new home, a new destiny. Uh, sorry, a new body, a new destiny forever with God and with each other. You're like, is Darren going to be in heaven? Unfortunately, yes. Fishing in heaven for fish. Jesus likes fishing. He does it a different way, though. <clears throat> there will be a new earth. I told you this one. With everything we built, I remember um, uh, Leroy asked me at the beginning of the service, hey, when you started in business, what, why did you do it? What was your motivation? My motivation in business was to build, I was in property, was to build the best real estate anyone could ever build. And we picked locations and we tried to build with good materials so the tenants would love it and they would pay a lot of money for it. And, and we wanted to be the best. It's all going to burn The best will burn with the worst. That's not to say don't do your best. Do your best. But realize that this earth, with everything that we gather and build and keep and maintain, is going to be destroyed by fire. 
And God says that He creates it all new, a new earth with a new city that comes down out of heaven called the New Jerusalem. It's beautiful. Read about it in Revelation chapter 21. It's the size. The one wall in a square is from here to Harare in Zimbabwe. That's the, the one side of the square of the city, one wall. That's how long it is. And we will all live there together. A new Jerusalem, a new place to live. New adventures. New missions to carry out, both in heaven and now we've been given a mission by Jesus. He said, I tell you, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've told you. Our mission is not to become rich and famous or to survive. Our mission is to grow the kingdom of God. A new purpose we've been given. A new family. To bear the image of God while we live here on earth. An inheritance. And the next thing that God has given us is a great hope in Christ. Where does it say that? Verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Such hope God has given us. In a world that is completely uncertain, we have a firm hope. And that hope is that Jesus Christ is in control. That Jesus reigns as the King over all time. The king over all peoples, over all kings, over all spirits, over all powers. Jesus reigns. And because he reigns, the future is certain. And despite the fact that we may, in fact, not we may, we will go through difficult times here and now. In the end, Jesus wins. And we are on His team. And finally, as part of that hope, that we will share in His great glory with Him forever and ever. A glory that far outweighs what we must suffer or bear with in this life. The next thing that God has, has given us or made us to be is He's given us a great friend and a great power to dwell within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 verse 13 says, In Him... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we, we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. This means that God Himself has come to live in us. As a seal, as a mark 
of ownership. Have you seen in the old days, uh, kings would wear a ring. And then they would, when they wrote a letter or an edict or, or some kind of a kingly communication, they would then pour wax on that, red wax usually, or dark, um, whatever, royal purple wax. And then they would take the ring and they would press the ring into the wax. They would seal it. And so you knew this was the seal of the king. And so it, was, it had his authority behind it. And this is what God does with us, is He takes us and He presses Himself into us. The Holy Spirit comes into us, upon us, fills us, and we are filled with the seal of God. Another word for that seal is a guarantee or an earnest or a deposit, like a down payment that you would put on a house or on a car, um, a, a guarantee, a deposit to promise you that the rest that I have promised is coming soon. Have you experienced the Holy Spirit? Do you have Him living inside of you? He is the guarantee, the deposit from Jesus, that, that Jesus is coming back for you to bring you the fullness of His kingdom, of His life, of His presence, of His glory, forever and ever and ever. You know, sometimes I stand in worship and I feel the presence of God and I'm like, this is all I want. I'm like, you're all I want. You're all I've ever needed. You know? And, and I feel like, yeah. And he's like, Lucas, chill. It's just the deposit. The rest is coming. And one last thing that God has given us. And that is, by God's great power, He has given us an un imaginable calling. Let me read it to you. Verse 19. Can we put it up? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So this is describing the immeasurably great power that is available for us who believe and then you would ask, what great power? What imaginary great power? And, and the Bible answers, he says, the power that God used when he entered into Jesus, who was dead in the grave, and he raised him to life. 
And not only did he raise him to life here on earth, but he raised him to the highest place. Gavin brought a word about Jesus, who is the name above all names, right? And that power raised Christ, and it seated him at the right hand of God above every authority and power and rule and name that is named. Jesus is the highest authority, and that was achieved by the same power of God that is going to raise you and me to the same place. You're like, what? Let's read it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And it's speaking about what God has done, and it says, and He raised us up with Him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. And so God's plan is that by his grace and by his power, you and I, the ones who were far from God, Nowhere, in sin, lost by God's grace and power. We are now raised with Christ. We are no longer dead in our sins, strangers from God, hostile to God. No, we are now seated with Christ. We are heirs with Christ. We are partners with Christ. We are partakers in the promises of God with Christ. We are fellow citizens in heaven with Christ. We are members of God's household with Christ. And we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. And we are now ambassadors of God like Christ with work to do that He has prepared beforehand that we should walk in it. That was a big sentence. You know, as I was preparing that, I thought of a, a little clip in a film, uh, in, in a cartoon film called Storks. Has anyone ever seen that? Um, who's doing, uh, can, can you put a YouTube clip up, Faith? I'm going to be very uh, naughty now. I feel like we need to see this clip. If you just type in, how do you like me now? B-R-A-H. How do you like me now? B-R-A-H. Storks. Because when you hear all of these things that God has done, that He has given us, it makes me think like, how do you like me now, bruh? Okay, we, you need to see it. Who's never seen it before? Put up your hand. Okay, that's why you're looking at me funny. I have to show you. We're going to have to put volume on there, Nathan. It's about one minute long. Can you, have you found it? Okay, great. Let's put it up. And then once we've seen that, we're all relaxed I'm only 20 minutes in, and then I'm going to teach us what does it mean practically. Okay, uh, it's the one. Goodbye. Not
Bro! No, no. Oh, you like back to the beginning. Oh. Okay, let's watch it. We love it. Goodbye. Bro! How you like me now? Oh. How you like me now? How you like me now? How do you like me now? Now there was a time when you lost me so I could do no wrong And now you need to know Don't break How you like me now? How do 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 you like me now? And you're sure you saw this? Yes, I'm sure I saw this. All right, let's keep this quiet. Yes, sir. Thank you for your loyalty, Pigeon Toady. Or should I say... So when we hear what Christ has done for us, it should be like, how do you like me now? How do you like me now? How do you like you now? If we just get it, that is who we are. What did we do to deserve it? Nothing. What did He do? Everything. So, in light of that, how do we live? What must we do? And Ephesians 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul says, um, Therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received. That stork says to the little pigeon, you know, you are on the team. And he's like, Anything you say, I'll do. And Jesus says, you're on the team. You're like, anything you say, Lord, I'll do. Does that make sense? So the first thing is, I'm going to skip four and five quickly, and I'm going to go to six, Ephesians six. And the first thing that we need to do, and, and, and there's not much more to do here, um, is that we need to learn to fight. You know, Ephesians 6, chapter 10, it talks about the armor of God. We need to fight. We need to fight what? We need to fight to learn who we are. Because we're not going to have, for the rest of this year, or the rest of next year, or the rest of the following year, somebody saying and reminding us, hey, this is who you are in Christ. We have to learn it for ourselves. 
Do you know when I sat down to prepare this message for today, I thought, what did we teach last week? And I was the one who prepared it and preached it, and I couldn't remember. I had to go back to my notes and say, oh, where, where were we? What did we say? Is my mind the only one that is like a sieve? It's called age. <clears throat> Thank you, Kim. We have to fight to learn it, to understand it, and to believe it. We have to fight to apply it and to live it. We have to fight to remember it. And we have to fight to remind one another who we are. How? How do we fight? There's two ways. The, the first one is to put on the armor of God. And in Ephesians 6.11 it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And I've taught before that the schemes of the devil are lies. And so he says to you, you're nothing, you're worthless, you'll never succeed, you will always fail. Look, you, these relationships you've been in, your marriage is also going to, he lies, he lies, he lies. And so we have to fight the lies. We've spoken about the fight of faith. And the objective of our fighting is to stand firm in the truth that we have now heard. To, to stand against the schemes and tricks and lies and tactics of the devil. The schemes will come and we must fight so that we can withstand, so that we don't give in or concede ground or be become deceived and fall. And so it says, having fastened on the belt of truth. It, the belt of truth is the thing that holds all of the armor in place. We need to learn the truth, understand the truth, believe it, apply it, live it, obey it, remember it, and remind others about it. And then it says, putting on the breastplate of righteousness. What is that? It's who we are. We are righteous now. We are holy. We are saints. We are set apart for God. And so when the devil comes and says, have another cookie, you're like, I don't do that anymore. I do not cookie. The next thing, it says the readiness of the gospel, the good news. Be reminded that you are now at peace with God. And so when you come to pray and the devil starts accusing you about things, you need to stand firm. I am at peace with God. My sins are forgiven. He has cast them as far as the east is from the west, and He chooses to remember them no more. When you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know when you come to God and you said, remember the sins that I confessed last week? He's like, which ones? They're gone. He chooses to remember them no more. And then the shield of faith. That means... That we believe what God tells us we are. Despite what we feel. Despite what others say. And the helmet of salvation. Remembering all that Christ has bought for you. The forgiveness, salvation, eternal future. All bought by the blood of Christ. And the sword of the Spirit. Which is the word 
of God, the truth to sharpen your knowledge about who you are and your faith in God and to strengthen you. And then it says, keep on praying with all alertness, which means telling God all the time, God, this is what I'm feeling, but I know this is what you've said. And praying for each other that we would stand. And the second way that we fight, the first one is put on the armor of God. And the second one is who brought the scripture about um, from 2 Corinthians 5, Joe. That, that, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for the demolishing of strongholds. Right, And it continues, it says 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Okay, so, so let me teach you from that little scripture for one second how you fight with it. Okay, I want you to think about building a stronghold. Do you know what a stronghold looks like? It's like a, a castle, a, a fortified building, okay? And the way that you start building a stronghold is one brick at a time. And so if you imagine one brick is a thought, so the devil comes to you with a thought, hey, why don't you this afternoon, you look tired. Do I? Maybe I am tired. You deserve a rest. You've been studying your Bible the whole week to prepare your preach. Well done. Thank you. You should rather switch on the TV and rest. Can you hear the thoughts coming? I wonder what's on the TV. Huh. And suddenly the mind starts to go and you start to lay bricks down. But the Bible says we take every thought captive. Every thought. What do we think on? Only things which are good and pure and excellent and praiseworthy. Okay. No. Thank you. No TV for me this afternoon. Are you with me? Okay. Each thought is a brick. And what happens is, once we allow enough thoughts to come through, it's like laying a line of bricks. And then we have what's called an argument. One thought after another, after another, after another is an argument. And then once we have a line of bricks on the floor and we build multiple lines of bricks on top, that is called an opinion. A thought, an argument, an opinion. And now you've got a wall. And if you take multiple opinions and put them next to each other, you build around yourself a what? A stronghold. And so if we are to dismantle the strongholds of the enemy in our lives, if we are to, to, to move on, to, to break free from the lies of the devil, we need to dismantle them thought by thought, argument by argument, opinion by opinion, and then it falls. Does that make sense? And that's why sometimes you can hear the truth, but you're stuck inside the stronghold. 
And it sounds so wonderful outside, but you just can't see it. And so you need somebody else to come and talk with you. And then you start saying to them, I feel trapped. And you're like, okay, that's your opinion. Why do you feel trapped? Well, because so-and-so said, or because I feel, or because in the past. And then what happens is we start to shine the light of the truth of God's word on every brick. And that brick goes, like in Minecraft, you just touch it and go. William taught me that. So we fight with the armor of God and by demolishing arguments and strongholds. And the last thing is that we live out practically who we are. In Christ. And I'm going to land with this. We're going to look at Ephesians 4 and 5, the entire chapter, and I'm going to expound. No, I'm not. I'm joking. Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 4. The Apostle Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility. Why, why humility? Because we know who we were. And we know that it's Christ who has saved us. And who has given us everything that we are. And that knowledge demands a posture of humility. Towards God and towards each other. If someone comes to you and says, I'm struggling with this, you don't look down on them and say, oh, who, why are you struggling? Yeah, look how strong I am. Because you know, I was weak. I was lost. I could do nothing and he saved me and he can do the same for you. And the Bible says, and with all humility and gentleness. I was preparing this yesterday. And I unfortunately wasn't very gentle yesterday in some of the conversations that I had. And as I'm reading this, I was like, oh, Lord. And so I immediately had to repent. Go to the person and say, listen, I'm so sorry. I wasn't gentle in the way that I spoke. Please forgive me. Because when we're harsh with others, it just means we're full of pride. And it continues with patience. Why would we not have patience with others? Only because we forget who we were and who has gotten us this far. And then it says, bearing with one another in love. We have received God's love freely, and so freely we give. Jesus loved us first. Now we love him and others. And it ends eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What we do is, in each person that we interact with, we recognize that the Holy Spirit that is in them is the same Holy Spirit that's in me. And so we are eager to maintain peace. We can't fight. We can't be angry with them. We can't hold grudges because it's the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? And then finally, 
In Ephesians 4, verse 21 to 32, he continues. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. In other words, as children of God, as sons of God, we need to put away the way that we used to live, the old me. No longer live according to the flesh, but live according to what the Spirit has made you to be. And so what I'm going to do, um, Kim suggested to, it to me this morning, is I'm going to take uh, Ephesians 4 verse 21 to 32, and I'm going to take Ephesians 5 verse 15 to 21. And I'm going to send to all of the community leaders a summary of what we've preached these last four weeks, and then a little a list from those verses so that we can discuss those things in community and we can apply them and we can, we can pray through them and we can, we can see how do we practically live out this identity that we now have in Christ. Does that make sense? <coughs> okay. Can we pray? Michael, could you... Um, Come up, please. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you have made us in Christ. And I thank you so much, God, for the uh, opportunity that we've had over these last three weeks, Lord God, to, to learn more about who we are in you. And my prayer, God, is so simple. I pray, Lord, that each one of us would live out who we are. That we would learn it and understand it and believe it and then live it, Lord God. And I pray that our lives would never be the same. I pray that our marriages, our relationships would never be the same. And I pray for everyone hearing this, Lord God. I pray that the power of your Spirit inside of them, Lord God, would waken up your gifts and calls and talents, Lord God. That we would start to be image bearers of God in a way that we've never done before, Lord. I pray that the life of God would flow from within us like a river, Lord God. And I pray that we would think your thoughts, that we would feel your heart, Lord God, and that we would do the works that you've prepared beforehand for each one of us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.